Amen. All right. Well, hey, how many guys have noticed in life that uh, maybe, Bobby, you're getting, you're getting old enough to experience this thing, but uh, more you kind of go in life, uh, things just don't seem to stack up. Have you noticed that? You went into these quandaries and things like, how that? That just doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. How come that is the way it is? Have you noticed that? Well, for those of you looking at me with that crazy blank stare on a Sunday morning, uh, I'm here to help you out. I've been keeping a list morning of some things that I just, over the years, I don't know, maybe it's the pastor thing. I have to catalog it, okay? I run across these things, and I'm going to share you some things that I find hard to understand. Let's see if you guys uh, can agree with me. Now, the first one's this one. Hey, why can't women put on mascara with their mouths closed? Have you noticed that? They're all, and sometimes the tongue sticks out. It's like a rudder. I don't know. They keep you from falling over. I... I don't know. I need a ride, Mario. Give me a break. Uh, hey, if a man saw a woman wearing a sweatshirt with guests on it, and he actually said thyroid problem, would he be dumb or insane? <laughs> you just keep walking, pal. Don't say nothing. Hey, if a pig loses its voice, is it disgruntled? Hello? I mean, that's a logical question. I, hard to understand. Hey, do jellyfish get gas from eating jelly beans? <laughs> Think about it, people. Okay. Hey, if swimming's so good for you, then how can whales look the way they do? Right? Should be skinny as a rail. I tell you what, but that's not the issue. Hey, if you choke a Smurf, what color does it turn? It's already blue. I don't know. I think about those things. Hey, if Professor on Gilligan's Island can make a radio out of a coconut, how come he can't fix that stupid hole in the boat? <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? Come on, script writers, you got to do your job. Hey, if you got a lot of tension and you got a headache, then shouldn't you just do what it says to do in the aspirin bottle? Take two and keep away from children. Right? Go in the other room, go shopping, go do something. Right? Works every time, I'm told. Uh, but let's move on. Hey, is it true that women should not have children after 35? I mean, come on, 35 kids is enough. I don't care if you get your own reality show. Right? That's, woo, that's a lot. Okay. Hey, but if carrots are so good for you, then how come there's so many dead rabbits on the highway? Have you noticed that? Maybe that's why they discontinue Bugs Bunny too. I don't know. But as you guys can see, uh, there's a lot of things in life that are just hard to understand. They just don't stack up. They don't make sense. Right? They're all over the place. But that's right, folks, is a segue. To me, one of the biggest things I have a hard time understanding in the church. It's got to be this one, man. This is, it's crazy. I just don't get this. Our society, again, as we opened up in prayer, is kind of messed up. It's going down the tubes. How many guys, again, can recognize that? Okay, it's totally falling apart. Now, if you haven't noticed, everybody's scrambling for answers, right? Oh, look over here. Some solution this. Oh, maybe we try this. They're scrambling for answers everywhere when the whole time, the irony is the answers are right here in the Bible collecting dust okay and that's the problem hardly anybody will read it listen that even includes the church christians and now because of this, this is what i understand we have churches full of christians who are acting like practical atheists all we say we know who god is right but half the times with our lips and our lives we act like he's not even there so to avoid this irony of you and i as christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who god is we're going to continue our study on the character of god now if you've been tracking with us we've already seen the first thing we need to know about god hello the core issue is he's real this is not a pipe dream this is not opiate for the masses god is real and he gives us tons of evidence to show us that the second thing we saw is god is personal i.e he's intimate we have a beautiful loving personal intimate not relationship not a religion with Jesus Christ. Then the last two times we saw the third thing is the omniscience or the fact that God is wise. God is wise. And there we saw that God demonstrates he is the ultimate source of wisdom because he not only knows the beginning from the end, but if you think about it, that means there's no such thing as bad advice from God, that is. Why? Because as we saw, if you recall, God is the one who knows all things, okay? He knows all things. He never makes a mistake. He never changes. He always gets it right. So if you are in a problem, in a quandary, James chapter 1, and you need some advice, who do you go to? God, what's the problem? See what happens when you eat chicken? 
It's just everything falls apart, Tom. No, this is what happens when you don't listen to God, when you don't go to him for wisdom, right? What do we do? We don't go to God. We go to our friends, right? We go to our own feelings. They'll just do whatever it feels like. And then we actually have the audacity to, instead of going to God, we listen to Freudian psychologists. We left off, and we saw they are, by and large, the root of them, atheistic drug addicts involved in the occult. When you do the research, excuse me, and you wonder why things keep going downhill. Go to God. He is the ultimate source of wisdom. He knows what to do every single time. And he, unlike man, he won't lead you astray. Great news, okay? The fourth thing we need to know about God's character, if we're going to stop acting like practical atheists, is hello, God is sovereign, okay? God is sovereign. He's in charge of everything again. Take a chill pill. And he knows what he's doing. We just need to trust him. Now, let me read to you the classic definition of the sovereignty of God because that could be interpreted as a Christianese phrase, right? Oh, the sovereignty. What do you mean by that? I don't know. That's really said it. Here's what it is. It means this. God is, it means he is sovereign that all things, listen, all things, how many? All things are under God's rule and control, and nothing happens without his direction or permission. Okay? But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's word. Okay? Revelation chapter 4 is our opening text. Revelation chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. And as you turn there, you're going to uh, realize that that's exciting because that's basically the whole chapter. Revelation chapter 4. If you find the dictionary, Mario, what do you do? Hang on left. That's right. Revelation chapter 4. Now we're going to see basically it's a throne room scene in heaven. Okay? And you're going to see God, right? And, and, and the four living creatures and the 24 elders. People are going to be worshiping God. And what I want you to pay attention is that basically it's a worship service honoring God in the throne room of heaven. You're going to see them begin to spout out this attribute of God's sovereignty. Okay? And uh, that's the whole point that we want to see. Is God really in charge of all things? Okay, is he up in heaven with his hands tied? He doesn't know what he's doing. He's sweating bullets. I don't think so. Let's take a look at the scripture. Now, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. After this, John says, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had uh, heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone was sitting on it. And the, the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and a, a rainbow encircled and, and emerald and uh, a resembling emerald encircled the, the throne there. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. And, and before the throne, there were seven lamps that were blazing. These are the seven spirits literally sevenfold spirit of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. It's as clear as crystal. And, and in the center around the throne were these four living creatures and they were covered with eyes and in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was, had this face of a man. The fourth was like a, 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 like a living eagle, a flying eagle. And, and each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and even under his weeks. Listen, day and night, they never stopped saying what about God? Holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come now whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him god who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever the 24 elders they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever says it a second time and then they lay their crowns before the throne and here's what they say about god you are worthy O our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power why because you god created how many things all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. 
okay? And so in this text, it's just one easy example that we see the scripture is very clear, Genesis all the way to Revelation. God is the creator of all things. We did not come from the live evolution, a chance encounter from the goo to the zoo to me and you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We came from God. He's the creator of all things, and he controls all things. And listen, all things are dependent upon him for their existence, right? Which should get people's attention. Especially if they were like I used to be before I got saved, a mocker of God, because we are dependent for every breath upon God. God could sit there and go, oh yeah, you're going to smart off again? And you won't be breathing no more. God is the one who is in charge of all things. He's the creator of all things, and we're dependent on our being for him. Okay, This is what's called the sovereignty of God. Let me read it again. The classic definition in light of this text. All things are under God's rule and control. Nothing happens without his direction or permission. Again, how many guys can see that in the text? That's why it's defined that way. Now, it becomes even more abundantly clear, I believe, of these attributes of God that he's in control of all things. Okay, When you couple a, a couple other things that they mentioned in that text there, it said that God exists for how long? Forever and ever, okay? This is bringing out, if you will, the big theological term, Ken, the eternality of God, that God is eternal. He exists forever and ever. He's above and beyond time itself. And because God is above and beyond time itself, coupled with these other attributes, okay, he alone gets his eternal perspective, and no wonder he knows all things. No wonder nothing catches him by surprise because he's above and beyond it all, and he sees it all at the same time. And that's right for those of you who cannot visualize that. I'm here to help you out today. I created a nifty chart, and not just some nifty chart. As you're going to see here very shortly, <gasps> look at that. How many guys remember John Rocket Boy Gibson's journey to the third heaven? Remember that? Well, believe it or not, that's the same rocket ship. Huh? Is this consistent or what? But anyway, that's right. As you saw, remember in that journey that John went to the third heaven? The Bible talks about three heavens, okay? You and I, we exist here down on the realm of time. There's a beginning of time, and guess what? There's going to be an end of time. Right? Genesis to Revelation, we see there. And the first heaven we saw was the atmosphere or, uh, the, uh, of the earth there. The second heaven was the space, the stars, and things of that nature. And the third heaven, the Bible depicts where Paul was caught up to, was the actual dwelling place of God the Father. Okay? But my whole point bringing that, we're down here in this time frame, beginning in. Notice the line up there that represents God in the land of eternity, forever and ever. Right? It's with arrows on both ends. There is no beginning, there is no end. Right? But notice God's perspective, and this is what I want you to visualize with what we're reading about this attribute that he is sovereign and nothing catches him by surprise. Notice that from God's perspective, if you will, looking down upon us, he can see the beginning of the time and at the end of time all at the same time. In fact, he can look at any place on the realm of time all at the same time. Isn't that wild? Let's fry some brain cells. In fact, I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord, but this is a deep thought for today. Hopefully, your guys, just don't smoke doesn't come out your ears. Right, this is a really crazy one. As one guy mentioned, he says, well, wait a second. So if the people who got saved back here on the realm of time, and they go up to heaven where there is no time, and then all throughout this timeline, people are going up there, but as soon as you get to eternity, there is no time, is it possible that we're all getting there at the same time? I see smoke come out of your ears right there. See that? I'm telling you, isn't that wild? It's awesome. But the main thing I want to see, and that's what 2 Peter 3, 8, some people want to say, oh, that's talking about the creation days. They're not literally 24-hour days. That's not what that passage is talking about. It has nothing about, to do with the creation account. Okay, it's 24 literal hour days, okay? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. From that perspective, what's a thousand years to God? Nothing. Okay, and that's all he's talking about. But that's the eternality with God. When you couple that together with his sovereignty, that he, he sees all things, he knows all things, he's the creator of all things, all things are dependent on him, what in the world are we worried about? 
I mean, the sovereignty of God is a fantastic, wonderful biblical truth, okay? But what I've also noticed, and this is what I want to get into today, it's in understanding this truth that God is the creator of all things, he controls all things, all things are dependent on him, he knows all things, nothing catches him by surprise, that it starts to answer some of the questions we get asked from the skeptic. For instance, how many of you guys have heard this question? Oh, yeah? If God is such a wonderful, sovereign God, and he knows all things, and he controls all things, then why in the world is there evil and suffering? You ever heard that? Okay. Now, uh, and that's what they're basically saying. So that's what we're going to take a look at today. All right, let's explore that question in the midst of the sovereignty of God. Where does suffering come from? Who is responsible for it? Where did it begin? Where did it start? Is God really sovereign? Is his hands tied up in heaven? Is he sweating bullets? Oh, no, I wish I could intervene and do something. Or is there something else going on? Well, first of all, let's take a look and see who's responsible for evil and suffering today. And it's not God. Okay, this is the importance of this passage, Isaiah 14, Satan's fall, 12 through 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning stars, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, listen to this, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's Satan, by the way. How many of you guys would say he's got an eye problem? Right? Sin. You look at the word sin, S-I-N. What's the middle letter? At the heart of sin, what are we doing? I want my way above God. That's the heart of Satan, his fall. What's being promoted today from kids we high? It's all about I, I. You wonder why things are getting messed up, right? But God says this in response to Satan's rebellion. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, pal. Uh, but you are brought down to the grave to the depths of the pit, okay? And this is the classic passage dealing with uh, Satan's fall, okay, which, by the way, is literal. As we saw before, 65% of the professing church in America does not believe in a literal Satan. That would just be make-believe. Crazy, man. Literal Satan, he's real, literal fall, okay? But this tells us where evil and suffering came from. It came from who? It didn't come from God, it came from Satan. And again, even though this is plain in the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, if you just read it, okay, that God's not responsible, usually this is that first question the skeptic comes back when you're trying to answer the question, all right, where did all this evil and suffering come from? Well, they sit there and they say, yeah, well, well see, it came from God because God is the one who created evil. What? First of all, what was the first attribute that the, the, uh, in heaven, the throne room scene in Revelation 4 say about God? God is what? Holy. holy, holy, holy. He can't be the author of evil. Okay, But this is what people say. Well, he's not much of a God because look at all the evil and suffering. No, what did we just see? Where did it come from? It came from Satan. It started with the eye problem. J. Vern McGee, he talks about that passage. He says this. These are the five eye wills of Lucifer. He was setting his will against the will of God. This is sin in its embryo. It began by a creature setting his will against the will of God. The sin of Satan was overweening pride. It wasn't the purpose of Satan to be different from God. Listen, he wanted to be God. He put his will above the will of God, and any creature who does that puts himself in the place of God. The birthplace of sin came from Satan, not God. Now, the key passage there, and they'll say, well, why, why is the, the world the way it's in? What a piece of junk God made. I mean, you guys heard that. Okay, well, the key word there in that passage not only explains where evil came from, Satan, but it says it's the fall of Satan. That means it didn't used to be this way. This planet didn't used to be in this messed up condition. If you read the Bible, we see that God created originally paradise. 
The, the world was fantastic. It was awesome. God created a beautiful world and universe for mankind to glorify him, have a great time with him, to have an intimate relationship with him. And when God said it was all finished, he didn't just say it was good. He said, it's very good. I made something very good. God makes good stuff. Not this stuff we see today. But as we just read, the devil came along and he did something very bad. He not only fell, but then what in turn did he do? We know in the Genesis account. He tempted Adam and Eve to also rebel against God, and they became infected with the same kind of disease. I call it the me, myself, and I syndrome. Right? Got that from a professor in Bible college. Over and over again, the me, myself, and I syndrome. Okay? Uh, and because Adam and Eve chose to sin, then guess what? Each one of us are born with that same thing. That's why David said, surely I, was, I became a sin later after I sinned. I was born a sinner. Okay, the sin nature is inherited at birth and is passed on. And, and, and it started with the devil. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5. This is why we got evil and suffering. This is why we got death in this world. It's not because God ain't much of a sovereign God. He didn't know what he was doing. He created a fantastic, awesome world. Sin messed it up. Okay, and this is what he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. This then is what happened. Why in the world is the world in the shape it's in today? Sin made its entry into the world through one man, Adam, okay, is the context there. And through sin, what came with that? It wasn't just, oh, no, now we want to do our own thing and rebel against God. What's the side effect of sin? Death, destruction. It messed everything up. The entail of sin and death passed on to the whole human race, and no one could break it, for no one was himself free from sin. Just a side note here, not to get distracted. That's why it's important to stand on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus had just a normal birth like you and I, guess what he would have had? A sin nature, which means he would have sinned and he could not have been uh, the perfect savior for us. But the Bible is clear. The world before that God originally created was a fantastic place. And Satan is the one who made it up. God made paradise, not a piece of junk. Now, I just want to give you a little teaser before we move on to the next point. How awesome, how awesome this world was. Now, we dealt with this in great detail in our 42-week study on creation versus evolution on Wednesday nights. For those of you who remember that. Okay, but those of you who weren't there for all 42 weeks, I'm going to give you a little teaser. Okay, what was that world like before God judged this planet because of sin? What was this paradise like? Now, believe it or not, even scientifically, we know that the world was different prior to the flood. Which, again, why did the flood come? Because of sin and rebellion. That's why the earth is all messed up. Because of a worldwide flood, totally rearranged the topography because of sin. But that world was fantastic. Now, uh, uh, we know that the atmosphere in the world was different because they find uh, uh, fossilized amber, right? And inside they find like insects like mosquito, you know, the Jurassic Park thing. Wait till July. I had this incredible encounter with these, this epigenetist lady. And we got on the topic of what can you do to genetically modify things? And can you recreate the Jurassic Park thing? And you know what she said? Wait till July. So anyway, <laughs> oh man, it's going to be cool. I can't wait. But anyway, no, so, but anyway, so we also know now with bugs, but they also find oxygen bubbles, oxygen bubbles trapped in there, which would have been created at the time of the flood. Now, this tells us that atmosphere would be radically different because they've done tests. And based on that atmosphere, it would have radical effects on all of life, all of life, including, including humans, before the flood. Let's take a look at some of that research. Based on fossil evidence, trees like the California giant sequoia grew much larger than they do today. 
One theory explains this by proposing that environmental conditions in the distant past were more conducive to gigantic growth. Under these described conditions, plants and animals would live longer, be much larger, and that's precisely what we find in the geologic column, in the fossil record. Plants were much larger, all living systems were larger. We have animals that today have an eight or nine foot stature with a 16 to 20 foot stature. We have insects such as the dragonfly. Today the dragonfly has perhaps a four inch wingspan. In the fossil record his counterpart Meganeuropsis had up to a five foot wingspan. Everything was larger in the past. I'm of the opinion that under better atmospheric conditions people were living uh, not only longer, but they were taller, much taller. Giants and dinosaurs could not exist today as they did in the past because the atmospheric conditions simply will not permit it. We had a greater ozone layer at the time prior to the flood. At the time of the flood, it was diminished to about one-seventh of what it was at that time, and therefore, life on this earth as we know it no longer has the same life expectancy as it did at the time of the flood. Hey, that's pretty cool. What a world to be in. Giant bugs. How would you like to hit that in your windshield? It'd take you and your windshield out. Okay, giant bugs, giant trees, giant lifespans. How many people mock at this scripture? Oh, yeah, I really lived 900 some years old. Scientifically, that is possible in the right conditions. Okay? So, oh, by the way, wouldn't be making fun of my wiener dogs back then, would you? <laughs> That's right. Manly critters. I'm hanging out for them. But, anyway, but the point is this. God created a world that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, I've shared this before, but uh, based on some of the circumference, some of the research I did in our creation studies, uh, they found this uh, fossilized stump, okay, which had been created at the time of the flood. Based on the circumference, that tree would have been 1,000 feet tall. Huge, massive, lush, incredible paradise environment. They also find beavers, fossilized beavers, eight feet long. As one guy said, you put that with a thousand foot tree, need bigger beavers to chew down bigger trees, right? All makes sense, like God knows what he's doing. But that's it all. Now, that's just kind of the general, just imagine living in that lush environment, right? Awesome. Fruit, everything's bigger, just incredible environment, okay? Uh, but also the effects, they know what, living in that environment with a, a higher and rich oxygen atmosphere and the more pressure and things of that nature, the effects on the human body would be phenomenal. One guy says this, he says, just breathing that atmosphere would be exciting. He, he said, Adam would sit there and breathe and go, wow, Eve, 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 take another breath, ready to go. And he says, just breathing would be exciting. He says, because under those conditions, not only does your hemoglobin take on oxygen, but your plasma gets oxygen saturated in your bloodstream, which means you could run, listen, you could run for hundreds of miles and never get tired and heal up just like that. It's just amazing effects on the human body. And he says, he's a, and that's why Adam and Eve, they didn't need a car. They could just run to grandma's house, right? And he also says this. I didn't say he did. He says, or, uh, only they didn't have a grandma or a mother-in-law, by the way, which is why it was called paradise. <laughs> I had to say it. What am I going to do? Hey, 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 listen. My wife has a great mother-in-law. Don't, don't be making fun. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, ride. I need a ride again. But anyway, that's right. But we won't get it. But seriously, as you can see, the world that God originally created, he didn't make a piece of junk. He made something 
mind-blowing fantastic. No wonder he said it was very good, right? He's not inept. He just, oh, I hope I get it right next time. I need millions of years to try to get it right, as the theistic evolution would say. That's a lie. God made a fantastic world, okay? So to answer the skeptic's questions, God's not much of a sovereign God because he created evil. No, he didn't create evil. He created a fantastic paradise. It's Satan who started evil and infected it to mankind. That's why things are messed up, okay? The second objection, they'll say, okay, well, fine, and follow the train of thought. They'll say, oh, well, God's still not much of a sovereign because he still created evil because he still created the devil. No, he didn't. And that's why it's important to read the next passage dealing with Satan's fall, and that's in Ezekiel 28. It gives us more detail what happened at that moment in time when Lucifer became uh, Satan. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17, you were the perfection of wisdom and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were, they were given to you on the day you were created. So God made uh, Lucifer, okay, but he made him good in the beginning, right? I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God, and you walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was what? Found in where? You, not God. Your great wealth fills you with violence and you sin. So I banished you from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty garden, from the place among the stones of the fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Okay? And so here we see clearly when God creates something, he creates it good. Satan is not always who he used to be. He was originally created by God, yes, but created by God, good. He was an angelic guardian. He was blameless until evil was found in him. Now, here's the point, okay? It's in understanding this that tells us that God's not responsible for the devil slash evil, Okay, evil, it says that the phrase is found in him, Satan. Satan's responsible for it, not God. And that's because if you think about it, even logically, philosophically, however you want to categorize it, okay, evil is not so much a created thing like water or dirt, so to speak, so you can't blame it on God. Rather, evil is the absence of good, okay? Let me give you a couple of analogies. Let's say for a couple months, I hung out with the uh, quilters. Hey, give it up for the quilters right there. Right? And I decided to not make a quilt, I decided to make a blanket. Right? And uh, so I made this incredible blanket. All right. Thanks for that. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. That's right. I made this incredible blanket. And, and so I, I used this blanket for a couple of years, man, because it was so awesome. Thank you. I got two. I'm gonna, give me three. Give me four. Give me five. Give me six. <laughs> Help. <laughs> so I made this blanket, right? And it's cool, man. I'm having it for a couple of years there and using it here in Vegas. You know, everyone's every year but uh, uh anyway so all of a sudden i noticed wow I, I i found a hole in it it just there's a hole right now stop and think about that analogy okay is the hole in the blanket really something created there or is it merely the absence of blanket material it was found in there it's not so much something created as it is the absence of something. And so it is with Satan in the origin of evil. God originally made him good until the day evil was found in him. 
Okay, evil is the absence of good, just like the whole is the absence of blanket material. Let me give you one more easy analogy, okay? It's just like with darkness, which, by the way, Satan is referred to, right? Darkness is not so much something created as as much it is the absence of light, okay? So to answer the critic's objection, God created evil because he created the devil. No, he didn't. God originally created him, Lucifer, as good. Okay, but the absence of good, evil, was found in Satan, not God. Okay? But then they'll say this. Well, okay, fine. I still think God's responsible for it because he knew, he knew this was going to happen. And he didn't stop it. How many of you guys heard that? And that actually is a logical question. And that is true because we saw with the chart there, God knows everything. So he knew this was going to happen. But the answer to that is understanding the motive of God. He's not the author of evil, but why did he allow such a world to transpire? Well, it's his motive. And that motive was to have a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with his creation. Right? Think about it. I mean, God could have created a bunch of robots, including the angels, including people, who could never have sinned and never said no. But think about that. Is that really a loving relationship? Of course not. Okay? Let me give you another analogy. My, my two children, Rebecca, where's Rebecca? She's back there hiding. Hi, Dad, 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 stop, please, stop. <laughs> and my son Billy over here, right? Now, believe it or not, I, know, I hope you guys understand this, but did you know that my two children came from me? Right? They did, they were seriously. And, and my wife was there to help, right? right? She was there. I'll give her credit for that day. And, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so here's my point with my two kids, right? My, my two kids, I am their father. They are responsible for their creation, me, I. I'm the one responsible with their mom uh, for their creation, right? Now, by all rights, they should love me as their father. I'm the one responsible for the creation, right? But let's be honest, guys, even in that analogy, when does it really become a true loving relationship? When they, of their own volition, voluntarily choose to love me in return, right? And so it is with God. In order for God, listen, to create the best of all possible worlds, to have a loving, intimate relationship, a true loving, intimate relationship, like a father with his children, then he had to allow mankind to not just say yes, but the possibility of a no. Otherwise, it's an illusion, isn't it? Now, unfortunately, as we know, the sad news is Adam and Eve chose to say no to God, and they chose to say yes to Satan, and that's why we got all this. But such is the price to pay if you're going to create, believe it or not, the best possible world to have an intimate, loving relationship, okay? Now, the third objection, they'll say this, okay, well, fine. Well, God is not much of a good and sovereign God. That explains where evil and suffering came from. You can't say it's on God. But you know what? He sure ain't much of a sovereign God because he's done nothing to stop the evil and suffering. How many of you guys have heard that? Why does he do nothing? What's he doing up there? Blah, 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 right? Well, folks, nothing could be further from the truth if you would read the Bible. And the Bible has said God has done some absolutely fantastic things about putting an end and a stop uh, to evil. And the first thing he's done, hello, he's judged it. God is not up there doing nothing. He judged evil and suffering on the planet. And this is what we see in these couple passages. Why in the world did Jesus come? Yes, to forgive us of our sins, but guess what? To judge evil, including Satan. 1 John 3, 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to what? 
Yes, forgive us of our sins, but also what? To destroy the work of the devil. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 and 15. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is what? Jesus is head over every power, every authority, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. And so here we see the Bible clearly says Jesus Christ came not just to forgive us of our sins, praise God for that, but to strip the devil of his power. He destroyed his work. He has been judged. Jesus exposed him. He shattered him. He's defeated him on the cross. The promise of Genesis 3.15 has come to pass. The seed of the woman has crushed the head of the serpent. Satan is totally defeated. He's a singless uh, 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 lion. He, he's fake. He's a noisy liar. Listen, he knows he has lost. And he is defeated and he is headed to the lake of fire. That's why he's so riled up in these last days. Not because he thinks he can somehow overbeat God, because he can't. God is sovereign. But he's so stinking evil, he's seen how many people he can trick them and take them into the lake of fire. But he is the one who is defeated and he knows it. So Christian, you and I, we don't need to blame God when we're going through hard times. Are you kidding me? Don't be like the devil. Don't join him in shaking a fist at God. You need to boast in God and what he's done. Satan wants to remind you about uh, your problems. You need to trust God, number one. We're going to get into that great detail in a few weeks. Why is he doing this? Why is he allowing this? But you need to also remind Satan of his future. Really? You want to play that game, buddy? Smell the flames? Smell your future coming? God has judged him. Satan's the loser, not us. Okay? Number two, the second thing he's done, he's put a limit on it. God has put a limit on evil. Satan's not a loose cannon on deck. Are you kidding me? Right? Let's take a look at this. And this is what we see in the classic passage with Job. Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 says this. On the day, one day, the angels came to present themselves before who? God, the Lord. And, oh, guess who also has to report to God? Satan also came with them. Does Job, he said, uh, fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and, and herds are spread throughout the land. But you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he'll surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Who's in charge? God. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So in a nutshell, basically this passage tells us, yes, believe it or not, folks, Satan only gets to do what God allows him to do. Satan is not the author of evil. Satan, uh, uh, God is not the author of evil. Satan is. But Satan is not a loose cannon on deck. He's not free willing. And God's like, oh man, I hope I can catch up to him and find him. Are you, are you kidding me? God is the one who is sovereign. He's put a limit on him. He only gets to do what God allows him to do. And if he allows it to happen to us, just like Job, it's for a good reason. It's for a good reason. But the devil knows this. He knows he's not only defeated, he's limited. He's on a short leash. He knows that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, not him. And so again, Christian, take heart in the midst of your pain. Satan's not having some heyday with you. Are you kidding me? God's aware of your pain, and just like Job, he just wants you to trust him. Even this, yes, God. You trust him. Just do what he says. And you will come out on top. You'll be blessed more than you were before. Trust him. Okay. The third wonderful thing is, hello, this one's awesome. I hope this is something that we don't ever uh, uh, consider is getting old. He's made a way out of this mess. 
Anybody glad that heaven is not here? <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? We get all this mess one day. We get to get it. It's awesome, okay? And this, of course, is the classic verse, John 3, 16, right? Why did Jesus come? Not just to forgive us of our sins, but when we die, and because our sins are forgiven, where do we go? We get to leave this messed up version. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, okay, shall what? Shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Okay, and, and again, this is the good news of the gospel. This is why it's called good news. Not the bad news, the good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news, right? And it's good news, and we always seem to focus on this, but it's like, have you forgotten what comes with the package deal? It's not just the forgiveness of our sins, and praise God for that. I'm not belittling that, amen? <laughs> but when we die or the rapture happens, whatever comes first, where are we going? We're going to Walmart. We get to buy whatever we... No! That's the other place. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We're going to heaven. Are you kidding me? And what's heaven? Heaven is not like this place. Not all the junk. Not all the baloney. No more politics. Right? None of that stuff. And don't forget, I have to say it every time I bring that word up. Politics comes from two words. Poly meaning many and ticks, blood-sucking creatures. That's gone. All that stuff. It's going to be incredible. No, it's, okay. In fact, just let me, let, me, let me give you an idea of just how awesome it is. Just real quick, okay? We don't have time. We've got to move on, okay? But let's, what does the Bible say about the place we're going, man? This is, God's made a way out of this place. He says something fantastic about evil and suffering. It's the actual dwelling place of God. No more of this invisible stuff. We get to see him as he is and experience him in his fullness. And the place beyond our water streams, is, it's a, the dwelling place of his angels, the holy angels, okay? It's a heavenly country, not like what's going on with ours, okay? It's a holy place. It's an eternal paradise. It never ends. It's a place where the streets are made of gold. The gates are made of pearls. The foundations uh, is made of precious gems. It's a place of eternal rest. It's not just for a weekend or for one week vacation. Forever and ever. It's eternal. A place of eternal joy. Uh, without wickedness, there is no more darkness. There is no more sin. There is no more tears or mourning or pain or death or crying. It's a place of absolute purity. It's a place filled with the glory of God, and it's an everlasting place. How many of you guys are glad when you get to heaven, you don't get kicked out? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's back up the tape again. How many of you guys are glad that you're going to heaven and you never get kicked out? Yeah, thank you. Man. That scared me for just a nanosecond, Ron. I said, where am I at? Walmart? But anyway, just kidding. With all due respect. Yeah, what chicken? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, don't get me started on that one. I got to finish this sermon up. But anyway, excuse me. How many of you guys would say heaven is absolutely awesome? And again, that's just the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. The Bible even says it's so awesome, as cool as what that is. You still, your mind can't even conceive how incredible that place is. Okay, but who? Here's the whole point. Who would reject that? And if you think about it, God is doing a total, absolute reversal of Adam and Eve's bad decision. They chose to say no to God's goodness in paradise and the wonderful world he originally created, and now we have a chance through Jesus to say yes to his goodness of the death of his son on the cross to forgive us so we can go to another paradise, paradise forever and ever. Isn't that wonderful? God is not up in heaven having his hands tied. He's sovereign. He's done absolutely amazing things for us. He's made a way out okay the fourth and final one is this the wonderful thing hey this ain't gonna last forever are you kidding me god's in charge god has appointed the fourth thing he's gonna put an end to evil 
This isn't going to last forever. There is a day when it's done. Okay, and this is what we see in Revelation 19, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, 11, 12, 14 through 15. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. This is obviously Jesus. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's you and I, the church. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And when Jesus comes back, what's he going to do? Hey, can we like have an agreement here? Uh, can we work this out and have a peace tree? Hey, can we stop this stuff and can we? He will rule them with an iron scepter. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back. He's going to rule and reign on this planet literally for a thousand years. And he's going to renovate the planet back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. He's going to make it right again. It's going to be a just wonderful world. Okay, But when he does, guess what's going with it? False prophet, antichrist, the Bible says, going into the lake of fire. Satan gets bound for a thousand years. It's going to be awesome. And then even after that period, with the great white throne judgment, evil and suffering, it's done, it's over with. No more of this stuff. But you read the Bible, and God is not some inept God who's up there, oh, I just wish I could do something, but my hands are tired. He has done some amazing things about evil, okay? He has said no more. There is coming a day Hammer's coming down. That's it. And so then people say, well, then why is he allowing this to go on so long? What does the scripture say? God is not willing that any should perish. What is he allowing this time frame for people to do? But for everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want people to go to hell. He doesn't want them left behind to go into the seven-year tribulation that Jesus said is the worst time in the history of mankind. Literally hell on earth. But even if you were some ultimate survivor, <laughs> did you know the scripture says if you could somehow survive all the way to the end of the seven-year tribulation, you know what's going to happen? The angel harvest. The angels are going to come and gather you up and chuck you into hell. You will not escape. There's only one way out. It's through Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. And so the point is, are you ready today? Because one day, you and everybody, we're all going to stand before God. Right? And if you're not saved, you're going to stand before God and you will be judged on your own because of sin. And because you didn't want his pardon, just like Adam and Eve, and you said no, God will honor your decision because he wants a relationship with you. God really doesn't send so much, if you will, people to hell. People send people to hell because you reject God's way of escape through Jesus. But the rapture could happen, could happen today, and you'll be left behind. The question is, are you ready? God has done some awesome things about evil and suffering. He's not some inept God. He's not being a big old meanie, right? He's judged it. He put a limit on it. He made a way out of it, and very soon, folks, he is going to put an end to it. And the only reason why you are still breathing today is because he's hoping as a loving father Maybe that will be the breath that you say yes and escape this mess that I've made a way out for you. But one day, you're not going to have that breath anymore. Don't wait. If you're not saved or you're not sure if you're saved, you better make sure today.
Because you could die today or the rapture could happen today. Don't be left behind like these people. We'll close in prayer after this. today and that scenario will become a reality don't be left behind amen well hi this is pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and get a life ministries and i hope you enjoyed today's study but in closing before you go let me ask you one final question if you were to die today are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell you see here's the problem the bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, 
has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free 
right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.